This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Monday, August 28th. I'm Julia Caulfield. And I'm Gavin McGough. In today's headlines, Battle of the Beatles. A Happy Hour Classic returns. CDOT shifts staffing on Highway 145. And a mountain weather forecast. But first, every day, Kodo keeps you connected. In addition to music, we offer up the community calendar, which details noteworthy events across our region. And there's a newscast, which reflects the voices and issues of our community. Thanks so much for being part of this radio station and consider supporting us with a donation during our summer fun drive. You can donate now at koto.org. And thanks. The town of Mountain Village is looking to mitigate a Douglas fir beetle infestation. Containment of this outbreak is likely to be very difficult or maybe unrealistic. However, if we do nothing, the outbreak will continue to advance. That's Mountain Village Town Forester Rodney Walters speaking at a Mountain Village Town Council meeting earlier this month. The impacted area includes 60 to 100 Douglas fir trees on Mountain Village and Telski land. Douglas fir trees represent the best future evergreen species for our area. And this is because they are hardy, drought tolerant, and they readily propagate in a natural way. Walter says protecting the trees is important as Douglas fir are the best option for replacing subalpine fir trees, which he says are likely to die out from the landscape. Without Douglas fir trees um, to fill the, the niche, uh, the future landscape of the town may contain very few evergreen trees. In addition to keeping evergreens in Mountain Village, attacking the infestation also helps lessen the chance of wildfire. More dead trees means more dry tinder to burn. Mitigating the infestation, Walter says, is a multi-pronged approach. To best contain the outbreak, we would want to remove all the infested trees, ideally. Um, then we would want to um, you know, continue to um, confuse the beetles with the anti-aggregation pheromone. Um, we could also begin trapping beetles in the center of the area to try to guide them toward the center of the outbreak instead of outward. Um, and then dispose of the beetles in that way. Um, and then um, along with that, along the edges of the outbreak, um, thinning and removal of subalpine fir trees um, could reduce stress, which could reduce um, the attack. Uh, removing subalpine fir trees would reduce the amount of spruce budworm um, that is also defoliating these trees. So these trees are being defoliated by spruce budworm, um, they're stressed, and then the beetles key in on that stress. But it's also a costly process. Walter says removing 90 trees at $1,750 per tree is approximately $158,000. Mountain Village Town Manager Paul Weiser adds that would be the cost for this year. And the reality is that we're going to have to keep doing this for probably 10 to 14 years. So the question to all of you is, do we want to try and spend money this year, see how it goes, um, and then recognize that if we're going to go down this path, true success probably requires a million-dollar commitment. Walters notes it's better to implement mitigation techniques sooner rather than later, 
but that doesn't guarantee the techniques will be successful. The truth is, you know, we could do this work and it could just break out in a different location. It is in the valley. Um, we could do this work and it, we could miss some parts, you know, down lower or somewhere and it continues. So there, there are risks to doing this. Um, uh, vale uh, tried at first to uh, eradicate beetles in areas and they gave up on that approach. Um, they are more, they're settling more into an approach of, of using pheromones to try to guide the, the, uh, the outbreak. So there, there is um, benefits but risk to, to any choice we make. Council member Patrick Berry is supportive of taking action, but he does question if fighting the infestation is the best use of resources. This to me is one of the key issues that we're dealing with, and I don't want to just throw money at the problem. If you're telling me this isn't the right thing to do, that it's an exercise in futility, I want to honor that. So I want to be clear on this. This is really important to me. Walter says he hears a concern and doesn't have a great answer. I, I don't have a great answer for you. I, I, I think it is worth um, uh, doing what we are able to do because we're going to learn um, from that process, uh, but I have no way to predict the outcome. Mountain Village Town Council gave Walters the go-ahead to begin work to mitigate the Douglas fir beetle infestation, requesting check-ins on how the progress is going. This news might be pleasing to the ear. Telluride Arts and Telluride Chamber Music are again partnering up for their Happy Hour Music Series. The event, says Telluride Arts Program Director Austin Halpern, dates back to 2021. We started the series in the summer in the Transfer Warehouse. It was a beautiful setting for some free outdoor music. We wanted to uh, not only build a relationship between chamber music and Telluride Arts, but also just provide a um, space for the community to come and gather. Violinist Annie Foxen has performed in the Happy Hour series in the past and will open the latest run of concerts this week with a grouping of other local players. This series is special, she says. As classical musicians in Telluride, we don't get a ton of opportunities to play classical music. Um, there's a lot of bluegrass, as we know, a lot of bands going on, which is awesome. Um, but yeah, this has kind of been a unique opportunity. That community of local classical musicians has some serious depth. The happy hour program stretch through the month of September and feature in total nearly a dozen musicians playing in different groupings and arrangements. Foxen is up first, ringing in the series alongside Danny DeSantis, Caroline Aretza, and Colby Morrison. For the evening, the group will perform a selection of arrangements from favorite movie soundtracks. For this Happy Hour music series, the concerts are moving indoors to the Telluride Arts HQ galleries on Main Street while the transfer warehouse is closed for construction, says Halpern. It's a very intimate space. The performers and the audience are kind of all there together. And uh, I think mostly thanks to the artists, um, we're able to create a really warm and welcoming uh, space in the gallery. Foxen adds, being in amongst the gathered crowd is perfectly fitting for the parlor music tradition. I think that's what chamber music originally was supposed to be, just like playing music in someone's home for friends and family, um, like not on a stage or anything. So this is kind of cool. In crafting the concerts, musicians come together in different groupings and put together their own program. Claire Beard, the director of Telluride Chamber Music, offers guidance as needed, 
but, says Foxen, the ethos is casual and DIY. She looks forward to the series getting underway. I kind of like seeing some familiar faces um, coming back at the concerts every year. Just kind of makes it feel like a warm community feeling. I think sometimes I tend to get nervous performing in front of a lot of people, but I just want to really enjoy the music and enjoy playing with my friends. The month-long Happy Hour Music Series kicks off this Wednesday, August 30th at 6 p.m. at the Telluride Arts HQ Gallery on 220 West Colorado Ave. The concerts are free, first come, first serve, and have drinks on offer. They'll continue on each consecutive Wednesday until the 20th of September. Drive down Valley from Telluride and most will be familiar with the Colorado Department of Transportation's maintenance barn on Highway 145. That maintenance patrol barn houses plows, heavy equipment, uh, products and materials that we use to maintain the highway like sand. That's Lisa Schwantes, public information officer for CDOT. Over the past few years, we have had maintenance patrol members, personnel, who report to the Telluride Maintenance Barn. And those employees have traveled from uh, Nucla, Norwood. Um, they reside there, and then they come into Telluride to that barn to um, utilize that, that equipment. Based out of the maintenance barn, those CDOT employees would work on whatever tasks the road required. Um, in the summertime, that includes patching potholes, uh, crack sealing the highway, uh, taking care of any guardrail uh, repairs or replacement, as well as mending fences. Um, those are summertime activities that, that our patrols take care of. And then, of course, in the wintertime, we're talking about um, uh, once the snow starts to fly, uh, they'll be plowing. But CDOT, like many agencies and organizations in the region and across Colorado, have had staffing challenges. Because we, we only have one or two folks who have been reporting to the Telluride Patrol, what we're doing is just making it a little bit more official. And um, we're going to have our, our RICO and our Norwood patrols are going to combine forces. That means CDOT will no longer be officially staffing the maintenance barn. The Norwood patrol will take care of the northern route from, from Norwood all the way to the uh, roundabout there in Telluride. And then our RICO crew will take care of plowing uh, the southern route from RICO up to Telluride and the Society Turn roundabout. While staff won't be dedicated to the barn, Schwantes emphasizes keeping Highway 145 clear is a top priority. Highway 145 is a 24-7 uh, coverage highway. Um, it's considered a, a critical route because of the potential frequency um, of safety closures that could happen on US 550 Red Mountain Pass. Um, so we are, are determined to keep um, 145 open as an alternate route for um, especially our Silverton residents. While Schwantes can't promise the road will never close, she adds CDOT is committed to keeping drivers safe. Anyone who lives in a, one of our mountain communities is, um, I would think, very familiar with times that we have to implement safety closures. Um, so I, I don't want to uh, let you think that that may not happen because it has happened in the past. 
and it's going to continue to happen. Uh, when we receive significant amounts of snowfall, um, many times it's always a challenge for our crews to um, immediately get a road open. But again, Highway 145 um, is a critical route. It's going to uh, continue to receive 24-7 coverage. Um, crew members uh, perform maintenance and respond to incidents on an around-the-clock schedule. And we anticipate that there will be no interruption of service for the Telluride area. CDOT will continue to maintain Highway 145 and use the maintenance barn to store materials. Employees, however, will be stationed further down the road. The Telluride Marshals Department and Public Works are replacing parking meters throughout town this week. The town's new parking meters will be equipped with credit card payment options connected to vehicle license plates. There will also be mobile payment options through QR codes and text-to-pay posted throughout town. Town officials say the new parking payment options will be simplified and more user-friendly. There will be no lapse in payment requirements to park, and parking fees will be collected immediately after the new meters are installed. The town will begin replacing the parking meters on Monday. It plans to have the project wrapped up on Friday, September 1st. Montrose is a long way to go, especially if you don't have a driver's license. While that's normally how far you'd have to go to reach the closest office for the Department of Motor Vehicles, this week the DMV is coming to us. On Tuesday, August 29th, the state's DMV to go, a mobile unit which provides driver's license renewals and other motor vehicle-related services, will be in Placerville from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. On Wednesday the 30th, the DMV to-go bus will roll up the canyon to Telluride and set up shop in the county offices at the Miramonte building on Main Street, also from 9 to 4. Although the mobile DMV cannot perform a driving test, it can renew an expired license or any license which will expire in the next six months. Spanish Interpretation Services and advice for undocumented residents seeking a driver's license will also be on hand. No appointments are necessary. For a full list of services offered, visit mydmv.colorado.gov. Colorado is facing scrutiny from federal regulators and local climate advocates over its handling of air pollution records. KOTO's Lucas Brady-Woods reports the state filed a lawsuit last week against the Environmental Protection Agency in response. The EPA claims a lack of transparency is preventing Colorado from enforcing federal regulations under the Clean Air Act. Companies only have to make their pollution measurements available to the state. Colorado Attorney General Phil Weiser filed a lawsuit fighting the EPA's order for more open records. Robert Ukiley is an attorney for the Center for Biological Diversity, which is a co-defendant in the lawsuit alongside the EPA. This information can save people's lives, and it's really disappointing that these states trying to not allow its people access to the information. The state is also the defendant in a separate case brought by three local environmental groups. They allege Colorado's Air Quality Control Commission's new rules break the state's environmental laws. I'm Lucas Brady-Woods in Denver. 
The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for a mostly clear night tonight with a low near 45 degrees. Tuesday brings sunny skies with a high in the mid-70s and a slight chance of afternoon showers, followed by a mostly clear night with a low near 45. Expect similar conditions on Wednesday with sunny skies and a high in the mid-70s with a chance of afternoon showers. Wednesday night brings mostly clear skies and a low near 50 and a 10% chance of rain. This has been the news for Monday, August 28th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206. We would like to thank everyone who has donated to Kodo during our summer fundraising drive. A huge thank you to Dabs Anderson, Lisa Barlow, Benji Bieber, Fred Brodsky, Megan Honey, Christina Lambert, Mandy Miller, Rick Simonson, Tara Carter and Warren Gilbreth, Anna Wilson, Jana Zink and Norm Squire, Chris Mason, Bill and Cheryl Jensen, Deb Gizmundo, Josephine George, Catherine Devlin, Dave and Erica Domland, Lichet Betton Mallory Clark Sasha Cuccinello Rich Estes Kimberly Jackson Judd Kleinman Tom Mack Dot and Bill Myers Natalie Sanders Mindy Smith Tony Wilcox Robert Atlas and Alexis Brown Thank you all so much.